0: Hello anyone and everyone, I am James Sebastian, and on this episode of Mechanical Fail, Gabe and I delve into the machines of Near Automata. Yes, throughout the episode we use the pronunciation Automata rather than Automata. I can't help that it's the correct way. In any case, I would like to warn you that in the recording of this episode we had a bit of a mechanical fail of our own. We were unable to use some of our preferred recording equipment, and Gabe was forced to rely upon the age-old method of soup can and string to connect our call. I assure you, he can be heard clearly, it just sounds like he's in a submarine. In any case, we try to make some sense out of the game's story, as well as grapple with the various mechanics. I'm not sure we necessarily unearthed anything revelatory, but it was fun to discuss and to try to rationalize to ourselves just what the heck this game is. With all that out of the way, we hope you enjoy the episode.
1: Yeah, so I had to look up some lore videos. Yeah, I was wondering because, about that. Well, I played through, um, you know, the first ending. Yeah. And then I made it probably maybe halfway through the 9S playthrough. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that I was just kind of like all right I don't, I'm not gonna have time to get through more of it so I decided to just kind of watch the uh, the final cutscenes and stuff.
2: yeah, that's fair because the game is long, especially if you like do all the cutscenes and cut into things or like d- dig into things yeah
1: yeah I mean a single playthrough is pretty short. I think I beat it in about 10 hours maybe mm-hmm. something like that, that sounds So like that's right. I mean that's not bad so I, I like that you can do sub you know subsequent playthroughs I think in about the same amount of time I think each one's probably about the same length.
2: Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I did most everything, and I was like forty some hours in after all the playthroughs and doing a lot of side questing.
1: Okay, that's not too bad, really. Yeah, compared to uh, Persona Five, where I am fifty seven hours in, cool, and uh, I'm only, I think, well, given what I know about th- things that can happen, I'm still like four months away from finishing, <laughs> like in in <laughs> yeah, game time, game time. <laughs> real lifetime. Oh God. <laughs> hopefully not <laughs> so so 40 hours isn't too bad I, I um you know i'd like to go through and, and play them all through but we'll see it, it's a game where i feel like the the mechanics of it kind of purposefully hold it back
0: mm-hmm.
1: so playing it is not really that enjoyable to me i see for me so the... i'm not sure how eager I, fe- I feel to really get through it
2: mm-hmm. for me the mechanics were just good enough to like keep me going but after a certain point of the game i didn't really think about them anymore they were just kind of there um right like the movement for me was still pretty fun and running around but it was mostly just at that point like you know pushing the story forward doing side quests it was a lot it was never really about the combat i feel
1: yeah um it's it's weird because you know it's got like they, they, the way it introduces itself, you do a bunch of bullet hell kind of stuff, which is fine. And then you do some cool uh, running through the factory. And you kind of get to grips with the mechanics. Mm-hmm. And then you face with this awesome boss fight. Um, which is kind of like the biggest spectacle in the whole game, I think, in a lot of ways. Well, it that that, depends.
2: There's some other parts that are really big.
1: I agree, but... I don't know. Fighting a huge, like like oil rig in the middle of the ocean seems (laughs) pretty cool to me um so i think in a lot of ways it didn't really top that um and the combat never got better than that that's the other thing
2: i guess other than yeah
1: the addition of dodging which is like kind of more of a hassle than it's worth in a lot of cases um like it doesn't really it doesn't grow in a lot of ways like you can get upgrades to your weapons and that kind of stuff but like you don't nothing really changes oh for yeah your, like, like for your, your character when you
2: upgrade your weapons your weapons get slightly longer combo chains but it doesn't really matter because yeah. it does like the combat's not about style or anything um in fact like my first experience with this game was playing the demo which everyone was super excited about at the mm. time like I, I realized it was called Nier Automata, so like, oh, it's you know, some sort of successor to the original Nier, of which I didn't really know anything. Um and now I know a lot more about those old games or about Yokotaro's original games. But when I first played the demo, I expected more platinum games, and what I got was Yokotaro, and then at the time when I finished the demo, which just drops you off after fighting the the big oil rig machines, um that's where it ends and i was just like well this sucks (laughs) the combat's not satisfying (laughs) the boss isn't satisfying because you don't actually fight it like you just kind of it's like a you know scripted story sequence kind of i mean it's not a quick time event but right you don't have to take down its life bars and right for someone being like oh this is supposed to be like bayonetta (laughs) no not at all
1: right i think that is kind of the thing right platinum games Developed it, quote unquote. So well, they—they were the guys that of,
2: wrote the code and did the scripting, but it's Yokotaro's design,
1: right? So you expect if you, when you hear Platinum, you're, you're going to expect um, very refined combat mechanics, that kind of thing. Yeah. And really, that's not what you get at all. I don't think the combat mechanics are refined, and I think they're purposefully designed to be kind of obtuse. For instance, I hate how you have to hold the R2 button. To lock on plus hold r1 to fire constantly which you need to do in order oh, to yeah. chip the health bars away and then to dodge you have to hit r2 it's like incredibly uncomfortable to do and f- i feel like that's on purpose
2: i wouldn't be surprised although there are a few alternative control schemes um sure which i didn't try but yeah i
1: mean i i yeah it, anytime you can reassign buttons and stuff it i don't really care about that so much because that's <laughs> not well because i mean sure that's great. And if you want to play it that way, go for it. But the game was designed with the default um, control scheme in mind, and there's a reason for that. And I think the reason in this case is that they didn't really want the combat to feel particularly easy to do. Because mm-hmm. it's not really hard. Like, dodging constantly is not difficult, but it is painful, kind of, because your hand's put in a weird position. Um, and you have to constantly do it like you have to constantly be holding like four buttons at a time Mm -hmm. to both move quickly attack dodge and shoot all the time so uh, it's weird it it, it's like the one thing holding me back from really enjoying the game and i think that's kind of the point yeah like i don't think you're supposed to enjoy the fighting that much
2: it might be worth i I did the game just on the normal difficulty but it might be worth checking out the easy difficulties because you get the you can equip the mod or the plugin chips that let you just like kind of auto fight, and mm-hmm. that might make things better. Um, Cause like, I was not in it for the challenge whatsoever. Neither was I. No. And, yeah, being able to just auto play through combat probably wouldn't be the worst thing.
1: Yeah. Just because there's so much combat in certain sections. I mean, part of it for me. Is really that uh, you have to explore this overworld and fight stuff to collect items for upgrades and just kind of side questy stuff, mm-hmm. and then you're then shoved into these, uh, and I, I guess they're scripted, but they're like these focused areas where like you either are all of a sudden you're in a side scroller, or uh, you know like the bullet hell stuff yeah. like before, like the camera is fixed or not fixed, but it's it's controlled I mean it, for go, it you goes to than, a
2: plane instead of like you know it locks to a plane basically
1: right and you don't have any control over it anymore like you do in the open areas of the game so it's like this weird back and forth between the open area of the world this kind of like this quieter area mm-hmm. and then these much more focused and guided areas and I don't know how much I like that I think it would have been interesting to see those areas designed fully in three D and sur- like, if they acted the way that the rest of the environments work, uh, I wonder if it would have been at least more consistent yeah. feeling. I uh, I don't know if it would have been better or or what or if it would have completely broken to be able to you know explore those areas like that. But it definitely has like this disjointed feeling to it.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Um, it it was super jarring. I think the only reason I kind of got used to it was like put so many hours into the game. Um, the one thing I will say is that it segues nicely into the hacking minigame that you get and that you do a lot of in Nine playthrough. Yeah. Um and that there's I don't know if you saw that the end the like the super secret ending um but there's one section of the game that is basically just this enormous bullet hell that's kinda like the hacking minigame. Um, that's actually very interesting from a game perspective where a game I've never seen a game do something like that before um, not not the bullet hell part just the way that is that section is presented um, and it's it's uh, like I think the fact that there had been bullet hell up to that point kind of or not bullet hell but like um, shmup style combat before that point. Kind of doesn't make it this enormously jarring thing, um, yeah. And if, it, it's really weird because I feel like I feel like all of Nier is just this strange mash of so many things that wouldn't work outside of a video game, and it's weird and wonderful. And like, I thought I wouldn't like the game, and I ended up just loving it as I kept going through more and more.
1: That's interesting. So why didn't you think you would like it?
2: Uh, mostly from my experience with the demo, because. I, I was really hoping for like, you know, tough combat, interesting uh, mechanics to kind of learn in the combat system, um, kind of like learning to chain combos and trying using different weapons. And I mean, you can do some of that, but it's clearly not really designed for that. You know, it's better to just level up and get stronger. And like I was saying, once I got to a certain point in the game, like I was just so strong that I didn't care anymore. Um, I never healed because I had uh, plug-in chips that would just auto-heal me once I was out of combat for a little bit. Um, and I basically didn't die anymore after, like, I don't know, 12 hours into the game. Like, I I was no longer in risk of dying. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so, like, the game, mechanics-wise, didn't feel interesting. Um, and, like, if I felt like, oh, they're just taking control away from me. But then when I played the real game... Um, because everyone kept talking about how great it was and how it did things no other game did, I, like, actually saw those pieces. And it's not necessarily about the combat or the mechanics. It's about this, like, strange weave of a game that, I guess, Yoko Taro's already known for doing stuff like this, but, like, this game's actually been well-made because it had someone like Platinum behind it. Sure.
1: Yeah, I'm curious because I don't think I played the demo. I can't remember if I did or not. Mm Um, actually, you know what? I think I did, and I was a little disappointed that the beginning of the game was just what the demo was. Yeah. I was hoping it would be something different, but, um, not, not in that, um, the, the mechanics were different, but I was hoping that it would, like, literally not be part yeah, of the story. Of the <laughs> or, yeah. yeah. So that was a little disappointing, um, but, you know, I don't know. I I, I remember playing through it and kind of just... Because I didn't I had a different problem than you did I didn't get particularly strong in the game Mm -hmm. I feel like I was always underpowered constantly But I still also was never afraid of dying Either because I had a bunch of health items Because you can buy them for dirt cheap And you get tons of cash Oh yeah And So it was weird I wasn't I never felt like I was progressing Like I didn't feel like my skills were getting better Mm -hmm. And I also didn't feel like there were any stakes to me getting better Mm -hmm. Which was kind of a weird feeling because normally, you know, the game is games at least are built on a curve of skill level, right? And as you go through that curve, you're going to hit, you know, peaks of difficulty. And I feel like this game kind of doesn't bother with that at all. It is just kind of always the same difficulty the whole way through, more or less. Yeah, I would agree. Regardless of where you're, like, what level you are, and I'm not. I'm wondering if. Do you know if the enemies have fixed HP levels and stuff, or do they are they tailored to where you are?
2: Um, I mean, as far as I know, they're just fixed. Like the the enemy levels and the anim, enemy stats are fixed. Because I got much higher levels um, than the enemies because I kept doing all the side quests.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: so you know, I would be I would be at a point in the game and just be like, "Oh, everything's super easy right now." And then you you know you would get I would get to a point in the game where like suddenly the world changes and there's a new, all the enemies are replaced with higher level versions. So, right. so to me, it definitely is just like, they're set levels so you can easily grind and get stronger than them if you want or just get stronger than them by doing a bunch of side quests, yeah.
1: Yeah, that must, see, I it was really hard for me to tell because like I say, even after upgrading weapons and I mean, I was leveling up as I got through the game so I felt like I should have been on track to whatever the expected level is. Mm-hmm. I didn't do a whole lot of side questing, so I was probably under-leveled to some degree. Yeah. But basically all that did was add time to the combat sections. It didn't make it harder, really. It just took longer. hmm So that's kind of interesting in and of itself. It shows that there's kind of a... I don't want to say lack of effort, but a lack of importance placed on how combat works in the game.
2: Right. Um, and I mean, so this game... From a design standpoint <laughs> i guess it just reminds me you know we had a long conversation with the last guardian and it reminds me of that in that it feels very purposely put together to the point that you know like you were saying a lot of the, the things that we see and we're like this isn't really great almost seemed like they were done on purpose
1: <clears throat> sure because
2: there's a theme throughout the game about like how pointless combat is but you know you you were forced to do it like the androids and a lot of the robots just, like, get pleasure from fighting. Um, that's a side quest mission that, like, you just learn that androids are wired to love fighting. Um, right. And, like, it's a, it's a recurring thing. And so I wouldn't be surprised that, hey, the combat's not that great, but, like, you have to do it. <laughs> and that's how that's how they justify it.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because it's, like, it kind of demotivates you to get good at it, even though you kind of have to because there's really nothing else to do Mm -hmm. um and it makes me wonder about you know what it's commenting on with regard to players who get especially skilled at games you know i think of like fighting games in particular and how incredible those players can be at those games and how dedicated they are to learning the movesets and the balancing and all that And this game kind of just gives it the finger and just says, like, it doesn't matter how good you are at this. (laughs) You know, it makes literally no difference.
2: I mean, this game plays a lot more like an RPG um, than it does, like, an action game. Um, Even though, like, the mechanics feel like action game because of how it's designed um, and who it's designed by. I mean, come on, Platinum. But for me, like, once I started playing, I was like, oh, this is just an RPG and not even like that hard of one. Like you can try to min max and all that, but you don't you don't have to <laughs> at all.
1: You definitely don't have to, no.
2: Um, and you can just grind and out level something if there's a challenge. Like that's the easiest way to just get past difficulty spikes.
1: Well, and like once you get to nine S, it's like why, you don't even bother get engaging in combat anymore because you can just hack everybody all the time, mm-hmm. which is both faster and easier. Yeah. So, that whole thing... I mean, th- there's a reason for that, right? 2B is supposed to be the right. combat expert, and 9S is supposed to be this background character who kind of just helps out, but that would be... Like, I mean, fighting with 9S would be unbelievably tedious just because how weak he is.
2: I mean, I did a lot so, of it, and there are ways to make him strong. He... Uh, like, I read a bit online about how people, you know, make most use of his combat skills, and it was like, oh, equip... A spear and if you can make it this one particular spear and level it up and then just use this one move where he like if you hold you know if you hold one of the attack buttons uh you'll throw your weapon Mm -hmm. so um if you do that with a spear it just like hits goes in a straight line and just goes through enemies and it hits really strongly um so once i was like I don't know, halfway through the game, I read that online, and I was like, okay, and then I just used a spear as my main weapon for the rest of the game, <laughs> and yeah, it was really easy, and it was kind of nice, because like, I enjoy hacking, I actually enjoy hacking quite a bit, but it can be time-consuming if all you want to do is just like tear through a group of enemies, right?
1: Well, that's the thing, right? It's it's a trade-off between individually hacking a bunch of enemies for way more damage per you know attack, essentially, or just mashing the attack button as much as possible while just kind of dodging around.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it, it's kind of... It's an interesting comment on the way like games are just put together. And, <laughs> I mean, yeah, obviously at the center of it is the fact that these androids are... Their sole mission is to fight the robot... Uh, whatever they call them, robot beings.
2: Living machines. I mean, that's all
1: they exist... Yeah, that's all they exist for. And... It is interesting to, I mean, even the the bullet hell stuff and and by extension the hacking, is not particularly graceful. Like, oh no, not at it's all. It's way too responsive. Um, to feel like you ever get really comfortable with movement, mm-hmm. like I was o- constantly overcorrecting my aim, or like dodging too quickly into something. Yeah, because it just everything moves so fast. So even as like a bullet hell game, it's not particularly great cuz it's not balanced for it. It's just kind of like, okay, here's how it goes, here are the patterns, but you move so so quickly that again, it's kind of like yeah, it's here and <laughs> you have to do it, but it's not going to be a great experience.
2: Yeah. I mean, I completely agree. The for me the the parts of the game that I enjoyed the most where, like, you know, story, side questing, seeing the world, meeting more robots. Like, this was all... That was all the really impressive stuff to me. Like, just how how the experience was structured together. And then it was like, the combat and... The combat was just such a chore. Um, not the worst thing, but it, it, it just wasn't that enjoyable.
1: Yeah, I mean, what they do nicely, I think, is tie some of the mechanics if not all of them into some kind of story relevance right and Mm -hmm. particularly the kind of bizarre stuff that you can do like eating the mackerel which kills you
2: or self destructing yourself
1: (laughs) yeah like those kinds of things are funny on on the surface level it's it's kind of dumb that you you eat some like eat a fish and then the oil from the fish is like not compatible with your system so it just kills you oh yeah humorous on the surface and then at the same time it also is a great way to introduce the fact that like the way saving works isn't that you save your progress in the traditional sense it's like you are uploading your consciousness yeah. to a server and then you, a new body is pushed out of these cells littered around the world so it's you but it's not you
2: actually yeah that's that was one of my favorite things about the start of the game um, you know because you literally start the game and kill yourself and then you know wake up in space <laughs> and I, I i don't know i was just like oh this this is great like this already introduces you know this existential thing of like are you still the same the same being even though you up like you've uploaded your data but you're not physically the same thing like yeah
1: well and that is kind of peppered throughout the game right the mackerel is a is a a player example of it where you can do that to yourself but then you also see like the is it the not the weapon maker but the uh the other guy the guy who just sells you stuff in the little camp mm-hmm. he talks about his leg oh, yeah. being like he purposefully didn't fix it because if he does you know he's he's concerned it will make it and so it's not him anymore like that's the last right. piece that hasn't been fixed before um so it, is that kind of thing just is flooded in the in the game which is interesting uh it, it's one of those kind of i want to say it's like hokey on, on some level because you know is our consciousness our physical selves or not is, is a pretty old question and i don't think it's even for games i don't think it's even particularly novel yeah but the way it kind of interconnects with the entire purpose of everything's existence in the game is interesting because the more you learn about everything the more you realize that none of the beings have any idea what they're doing
2: right i mean
1: like none of them know why they exist at all
2: right and like literally they're fighting pointless battles because neither neither of them their original like purpose for fighting has been dead for millennia right yeah. And yeah, like that, I don't know, to me, it's it's very interesting because I remember seeing that reveal and I like, it's not that surprising because you're like, oh, you know, something's going on. But the reveal of like, oh, well, the humans are dead. So what are the androids fighting for? And and I'm like, oh, well, I mean, this is an amazing parallel to life. Like, you know, they, they, I guess, should just keep fighting for themselves. Like, right. Like, just because they're androids doesn't mean they're pointless
1: right i mean the whole thing of 9s's storyline is is that he is different from the other androids you know none of the other androids really seem to care about their purpose that much they just are committed to what they believe yeah and they don't really think about it or do anything about it 9s is the only one who seems to be even aware that there's something else that could be going on Mm -hmm. but the robots are constantly at at war with themselves and trying to figure out where they exist or why they exist I think a lot about the opera singer. Like she's probably my favorite oh, yeah. character the in the entire game. Really great. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting fight. One of just a few that I think were really kind of um, outstanding. But then the whole thing after you kill her, and you know, she kind of—I don't know. I guess you you hack into her memory. Yeah. I guess is what's happening, and then you you see her recounting like the whole drive behind what she was doing and it's it's really dark right she consumed other beings for the sake of becoming beautiful and then it's kind of this really mundane reason she wants the affection of somebody else well she never gets it
2: my favorite part is that the it's it's a like strongly uh, strongly implied that the person she's trying to get is that philosopher from pascal's Village who's right. just a fucking dick and always turning everyone away. And it's just like, Jesus. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a very bleak game. I think even like the game's true slash best ending is not particularly bright.
2: No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally, all the androids die, and the... Yeah, it's not very great. I guess, yeah. I guess the robots win in the end, because they get to just go to space...
0: What's frustrating
1: to me about the androids, though, is they are built in the image of human beings, more or less.
2: Oh, you mean like and, the the bipedal, two arms, two eyes?
1: Yeah, I mean, they're, they're physically yeah. shaped like human beings were. They presumably have no real idea what human beings were like. Mm-hmm. But you would think they would be somewhat aware that they're somewhere between humanity and, and robots mm-hmm. You'd think they'd be more conscious of the fact that, like they're at the very least they're more like robots than they are like people, but they they just seem to not even consider themselves other than they are made specifically to further humanity's <laughs> cause. And that kind of frustrated me because I'm just like the whole time I'm just like, well, you look like people, you bleed like people do. Yeah. Uh, you talk for no, like there's no real reason why you would need to talk physically. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? It's really it's kind of strange. Um, so that that kind of was difficult for me to just get, not get straight, but like convince myself that that's a believable thing that could happen right i just felt like there was there should have been more awareness on on their party that like yeah this is weird that we're killing machines when we're machines
2: oh yeah i mean it
1: takes them a surprisingly long time to come around to the idea
2: i mean i don't i don't think it's that surprising though because i mean if you compare it to human conflict we've been fighting each other for forever and we're happy to do so because it's so easy to get into the tribe mentality where it's us versus them right um yeah and i mean i love the reveal at the, near the end of the game where you know androids in yorha specifically have uh robot like cores inside of them because it was deemed unethical to give them standard android ai's because they're just all doomed to fi- to to be killed, right? As part of Yorha, and yeah. like, oh, so they they pretty much are literally just robots inside of, um, inside of more humanoid bodies,
1: right? Yeah, I mean, I think the the fact that they're blindfolded too is kind of it's a little heavy-handed, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a very clear kind of foreshadowing that they're blind to what they're doing mm-hmm. i don't know why that particular you know overtness was chosen yeah um, I, they don't, I don't because they, they, they have like, eyes that presumably work
2: they do they work just fine and actually they don't even need to use them like the, the implication well, the is thing. they use some other sort of senses to move around all the time
1: right so so both their eyes and the blindfolds are completely unnecessary if they <laughs>
2: exist anyway. Yeah. I, I'm i very curious what the... Because I don't remember reading or seeing what the in-game reason is for them to have the blindfolds. And I'm very curious about that. Yeah. And why only well, only Yorha does it, because... Like... Or I guess only the field units do it? Because the, the androids down on Earth don't. I guess... I guess most of them have eye coverings, except for like Devola and Popola. Right. Um, I know, but um, Jackass doesn't, so I don't know. I I I feel like I should go find some video about this because I'm sure someone's like analyzed it super thoroughly now.
1: Yeah, I, it just seems like a very like overt piece of symbolism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the game's kind of full of overt symbolism. Yeah. <laughs> such as you know literal you know uh factory type robots being named after uh marks and yeah Engels. <laughs> so I mean it's not like it's there's a bunch of just hidden you know stuff that you have to unearth it's just kind of more piecing it together like where does what does the blindness do in relationship to everything else like mm-hmm. 9s wears a blindfold like everybody else yet he has more quote unquote vision because he is more in tune with what's going on with others yeah and emotes more so is there a reason that he is also blindfolded or i mean you know
2: i don't know like at the very least like the the story reason for 9s being more intelligent is because of like his model type is supposed to be more curious and about you know gathering information right um so like that makes sense and that's valid but yeah i yeah i don't i don't know about like i'm not sure how to answer your question
1: yeah i don't i don't know if there is an answer i just one of those things that struck me is like because they take the blindfolds off all the time too like when they talk to each other like, anytime one of them is hurt, they take the blindfolds off. So it's like a weird...
2: Well, and, like, they sleep, and they take their blindfolds off when they're sleeping. And yeah. Yeah, like, there's all these things that you wonder, why do they do it? And, I mean, I guess you could say the same thing about the robots. Like, the robots are just trying to mimic humanity. Like, is that is that what androids get out of it? Is it just they've been designed in the spirit of humanity? Or in the... In the uh, yeah, like, just to mimic humanity.
1: Yeah. It's hard to say. I also think it's funny that Adam and Eve are both male. (laughs) I mean, they're both genderless to some extent, right? They don't have genitalia or anything. Yeah. But they're clearly designed after male humans. Mm -hmm. So it's funny to me that they have the name of Adam and Eve, despite not being able to procreate. Right. So I don't know where that fits in exactly either. They do kind of... Well, I mean, park their way off of Earth or whatever the planet is.
2: Well, also like Eve comes out of Adam's chest, right? Not not unlike Adam and Eve.
1: <laughs> well yeah, of course. I mean, obviously there's a lot of clear parallels. Yeah. But I just find it funny that it's and he specifically says brother. Yeah. Rather than just another being, they're <laughs> not they're not husband and wife or husband and husband or whatever you'd want to say they're brothers, literally twins. Yeah. So that's interesting that they have that those names as well.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I
1: thought so, there's too. A, there's a lot of, like, curiosities.
2: Yeah, you know, talking about Adam and Eve, just remembering how they, like, you know, you, you meet them in the desert the first time. And I remember playing, like, for me, the, the, this is, like, I think this is where I fell in love with the game. I went, you know, you go through the the first part, kill the Goliath class units, like, cool, you did the intro. And then you, you wander around the city and all that. And then you go to the desert. And I remember, you know, I you get tasked to go to the desert. And I thought to myself, ugh, deserts. <laughs> deserts are literally the worst place to go to in any game ever. Um, and so, like, I was ready to just hate my life. And actually, I fucking love going to the desert. It has some of the best music in the game. And we need to come back to the music because it deserves a lot of talk, in my opinion. Um, Sure. But it has some of the best music in the game. And just, like, it was interesting to explore. There were lots of little nooks and crannies. Um, There's, like, story being presented through the entire time. Like, it's not just... I mean, there even is a literal vast sand dune and to me like it was still interesting to explore there were things in it right um
1: yeah i mean they also help it out a lot by making traversing through it not feel so bad so because you can slide down the dunes uh, which you know helps a lot because i would say like the general running around is kind of slow Mm -hmm. it takes a very long time for you to get up to your max speed yeah and so it's kind of a trade-off between whether you just dash all over the place which is tiresome physically or waiting a bunch of time for you to you know speed up in your running right um, i mean the fastest the dunes way... are a lot better than that Mm-hmm. because you can just get up on a little hill and then slide down without having to do anything extra and you go you know significantly faster than I mean, you at speed. least go
2: faster than your max speed instantly which is really nice
1: right right
2: yeah um no, you you're right about that. I was actually kind of annoyed that they cap the max running speed at like I guess 120% cuz you can get the mods or the chips to increase your running speed. Right. Um and that's kind of just I guess there's like, you know, little speed steroids you can take, but they're they only last 30 seconds or something, so it's not really it. Worth it.
1: Right. I was just more frustrated with how long it takes you to get to max speed. If you start yeah. out and then within, you know, a couple of seconds, you're at full speed fine, but it takes a really long time.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you, like, start running, do a dash, and keep running, it takes, like, five seconds or something. I don't know, maybe yeah. three, but it's still really long.
1: Yeah. And the world's big. It's not It's not unbelievably big, right? No, nah,
2: you can get across it pretty quick.
1: Plus, you can warp around, which helps. Um. <clears throat> the other thing, too, is that you always know where you're going since all of your objectives are marked marked out for you Mm -hmm. so it's not like a i would say like in breath of the wild for instance like you kind of have a vague idea of where you're going but Mm -hmm. that world is so big that navigating it is truly a chore at times well i mean i would
2: if you fly around it's nice but you have to get up there first
1: right so that takes time right and you know the biggest reason that the shrines are useful is because you can warp to them. Yeah. <laughs> it, I, I don't think that Nier Automata has the same kind of problem. I think, one, it looks really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think where the game excels above any other aspect of it is is its visual design. So the way like the physics work, the way the clothing moves as you're moving about the way like they oh, yeah. kind of tilt when the they're an- running. the
2: animations are beautiful.
1: Yeah, I mean it makes navigating feel good at least, so you don't feel so bad about having to do a lot of it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Which helps significantly, right? I it's
2: Oh yeah, you I do mean, feel, you Link, do feel you feel
1: like you're kind of floating on the on the earth a little bit more so than actually like running on it in mm-hmm. some ways, especially when you dash. So, I think it, it's kind of an interesting it's an interesting tug of war between moving too fast for small stuff and too slow for big
2: stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean compared to, compared to Breath of the Wild and Link in Breath of the Wild, like movement to me is much more interesting and and quick. Like I, even though you had to run around a lot, and I did a lot because I did a lot of side questing, and I didn't know you would get fast travel, even though it was pretty obvious. In retrospect, but I did a lot of side questing without fast travel and ran a whole bunch, um, and never really got tired of it. Like, I just kind of enjoyed moving around the world. And while there were way more invisible walls that I normally like, it still didn't take away too much of that sense of freedom.
1: Yeah, yeah, there are quite a few invisible walls, which is interesting, uh, particularly in the city area where you would think you could maybe hop over some some walls that that you can't, and you just kind of have to go around. Mm -hmm. Or there's some buildings that have doorways that look like you could probably go in them, but you can't. Mm -hmm. That's kind of weird, and I assume it's just because they didn't want to bother with (laughs) creating them when there's really nothing in them. Right. Or there wouldn't be anything in them. But it does feel a little false. false. Yeah. Especially because... When you do go into buildings, a lot of times, you know, the camera then is taken. The control of the camera is taken away from you, and normally it it sets up some kind of sequence that you have to go through, right? Right. I, like uh, when you're tra- chasing down. Um, uh, is it two A? A two. A two. There we go. Thank you. Uh, that section is interesting because it's it takes place entirely in a building, right? And you have to go through these hallways and kind of jump up and down and do some like kind of standard 2D platforming type stuff. That's kind of interesting because it takes this big world that you're in just before that and then crams you down into this little claustrophobic area. And I think they could have done a lot more of that and it would have been pretty interesting, but they don't really... There are only kind of a few areas that are like that. Mm -hmm. There's the... Uh, I guess the opening factory is a little bit like that in some respects, although you kind of end up in these normal kind of fighting arenas in right. between those sections that kind of break it up, whereas the combat in, the, in that A2 section is, I think, entirely
2: in, like, a side view, isn't it? Or pretty close. You're talking about the the forest castle? Yeah. Yeah, that's... I mean, the castle itself is entirely in the side view. Oh, I guess... No, it's, the it's open like the entire. entryway is
1: not. I don't yeah. think. But once you go inside, it once you're inside, it's is. all
2: side view. There's like one room that's really big, but you end up just moving around it, and it changes camera angles, but keeps you with a with a side view the whole time.
1: Right. And while I thought those sections were a little bit off-putting in terms of just how different it looks from most of the rest of the game, uh, it at least does frame the game a certain way. Mm-hmm. And You know there are a bunch of buildings that look interesting and and kind of would be cool to explore but you know that's just not really possible which is a little bit of a shame
2: i think that's the part that i wanted more of more just exploration in the world but i mean i think it would have kind of taken away from what they were going for which was a lot of these small vignettes you know these interactions with different robots and different androids and just kind of learning about the hopeless situation everybody's in
1: yeah, that's true. I mean, there are a lot of characters to kind of interact with, and, yeah you know, it is possible that—well, it's not possible; it's definitely probable that had had the entire game been built on the kind of overworld mm-hmm. view and mechanics of like a you know free roaming camera and all that stuff—that you would just totally blow by all of it. Yeah. Whereas, because you're forced into a certain path. In the side view or like when you go to the, the robot fort in the woods, you know, that also is angled in a particular way. And I think the, the point of that, I think, is to make sure you run across as many of the characters as possible. Mm-hmm. You can't just, you know, bolt out of there in whatever direction you want. You have to go a certain path. And uh, I, I'm assuming that's dis- that was designed specifically so that you can learn more about the world. Because th- I mean, if you don't do any of the side quests or talk to any of the characters, you don't have to. There's a lot you're gonna miss, yeah. even on the first playthrough.
2: Oh yeah, there's. I mean, I feel like not doing the side quests is like missing out on a good chunk of the story, or at least a good chunk of the motivation for a lot of the characters and kind of what's going on.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say it's possible to play through it, and if you don't do anything you don't absolutely have to do, you're very likely to not have any idea of what's happening at all. Like you're not <laughs> going to understand what Adam and Eve are at all. Like that they just are, they just exist, mm-hmm. and they're a threat to you, and then you kill them, and that's kind of it. Uh. So yeah, I mean, it's important that they did either make you do side quests specifically to encounter certain characters that give you story or frame the navigation around encountering uh, NPCs. Right. That can provide more story for you. Yeah. there's a good That point and that. then all the enemies kind of being uh, more plot devices than they are real, you know, bosses, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. I can think a lot about the, you know, the carnival area that you go to yeah and you know the whole time you're kind of running around trying to kill everything <laughs> and then you know you you learn pretty quickly that it's like it, the point of this isn't to have interest in combat or get better at it or, or be challenged by fighting it's just to understand that these robots are doing things out of you know various motivations and they're you know determining for themselves what kind of lives they want to lead
2: mm-hmm I mean, so it's funny, you know, you even mentioned like you're running around killing everything. When I first got to the carnival, I noticed nothing was attacking me, and I don't think I killed any carnival um, any carnival citizens until I was basically forced to. Yeah, um, which I thought was really interesting because I didn't like I thought there would be some repercussion or like something would go bad or would go wrong. And, no, I mean, you can just kill everyone there, pretty much. And that's fascinating to me.
1: Yeah. uh, It does kind of feel like what you do in the game doesn't make much of a difference. Like, yeah, you get some certain choices in certain places. Um, I know you can choose between... For one of the endings, you can choose between playing as 9S or A2. Right. And depending on which one you choose, you get a different ending, obviously. Mm -hmm. And... I would say that's a meaningful choice in a certain sense. But most of the choices you make don't really matter, you know. I don't think I don't think you're even really given all that many choices, to be honest. No,
2: you you definitely aren't. I mean you basically just play out the game, right?
1: There's, yeah.
2: There's not but I would say that, I would say that's probably standard of most games, right, where doing one playthrough will give you or yield you basically everything in the game
1: yeah i mean the nice thing is it's framed around you not having choice i mean the whole point yeah i think is to kind of reinforce the idea that you are just fulfilling you what your sense of duty is or what you think your self-purpose is so yeah you're obviously not going to get a whole lot of freedom in a game like that i wouldn't think which is interesting Um uh, but You know, now that we've seen a lot of games where you do actually get some meaningful choice, and the things you do change the world in some kind of fundamental way that Mm -hmm. you can't reverse, it's a bummer that you don't get that feeling in this game. At least a little taste of it would have been nice, I think.
2: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I hadn't really thought about it. Um... Yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm trying to think of like what. What meaningful choices could have been presented to you that would add to the game? Um, I, I mean, I, I can't think of any right now, but I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the only choices you get to make really are do something or don't do it. That's it. Yeah, I mean, and you, you know, you can't like always, actively do anything really other than the quests that are something. available to you.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, even the choice of doing nine a two is just like. Choosing which ending you're gonna see first.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly.
2: Um, Because you can get everything in the end. I mean, once you once you beat that, um, or once you go through play through C, you can just do chapter select and you know do everything you messed up, or that you didn't do, or that you missed. Mm Mhm. Um, which is interesting because that's I guess the way to get all the all the joke endings or like you know endings whatever. F through Z. Yeah. Um, which I thought was really funny. Like, I initially was really excited about the idea of so many endings. I didn't realize that most, I mean, most of them, the grand majority, are just, like, kind of silly. You get a blurb of text, and then, you know, credits roll <laughs> incredibly fast. Yeah. And yeah. you're back to loading your game and have an extra letter on your save file. Right. Right because I think I got the macro one first. And I was Me like too, yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. And then which I like. I think I think that's a good way to be like, "Hey, you know, you might not have seen all the en- or know that there were other endings. Here you go." Um and I like that they they make failure just be a separate condition that you can view and then like get something out of even if it's a little untrivial
1: yeah i mean i don't feel like failure is really even possible in the game in the traditional sense right right you don't really lose anything when you die
2: i mean to platinum it you well okay you you would lose your plug-in chips if you die twice you know with the like souls mechanic of dropping your chips
1: well sure although that's pretty unlikely i would think and you can also
2: reload like you have to save to actually lose things and the game's not constantly saving
1: no it's not that's true
2: um, but I, I mean, I find it entertaining just that, like, if you want to, you know, get a platinum in the game, not only do you have to fail at the game all these different times, like in the traditional sense, um, failing, uh, you also would have to complete the final final ending and delete your save file. Yeah. <laughs> Which I got to that point and I was like, oh, I'm not going to do that. Cause I still, there's things I want to get, <laughs> It
1: is kind of a, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of meta stuff going on in this game, obviously. Yeah. You know the fact that, you know, it does a whole like faux operating system reboot kind of thing mm-hmm. is a you know a very clear framework where it's like, oh yeah, you're definitely playing a game. This is artificial. Actually,
2: I love related to that. Whenever, whenever you wake up in the bunker as, to uh, be after the first mission, you know, you go through a little like boot up sequence, right? Where where 9S is like helping you calibrate things and like you're like in the settings, tuning everything. Right. And when you start as 9S and you go through that same sequence, it's a, a recorded replay of what you did. Yeah. Which I thought was amazing. Just like I was sitting there like, "Why why is nothing happening right now? What's going on?" Oh wait, I didn't do anything. I just sat there looking at it for a minute.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah it's i mean it's a thankfully there's some humor in it obviously because if you don't have that it becomes a game so dreary that i don't know how anyone could get through it (laughs) without just feeling completely like oh man um because you know it's just uh it's it's a it's a weird mix of of trying to kind of show how ridiculous the whole thing is Mm -hmm. i mean it's it's a game that kind of tries to demonstrate to you that video games are silly kind of at their base right they're frivolous and there's no there's no real point to them necessarily but at the same time you know you can use the platform of games to demonstrate things that you just can't do in any other way right what other medium can you delete someone's save file as a you know as a way to, to kind of reinforce the idea that like oh yeah everything ends mm-hmm. and there's nothing you can do about it
2: yeah i mean like from the sounds of it and i've, I've watched a good number of videos detailing like how how uh, the other Yokotaro games kind of like linked in your automata and it, this is basically his shtick. Like, he's been doing this since what is it, Dragon Guard? Um, mm-hmm. And like, it, you know, pointing out the kind of insanity of a lot of video games where you're shown to be the, you're supposed to be this like heroic, maybe chivalrous person doing these great feats, and in reality you're just running around fucking killing everything, and it's just like huge disconnect and Mm -hmm. he purposely is like pin showing out showing off in the games like hey you're not really a good person you're just kind of ignoring all this really obvious stuff around you in the name of a mission or in the name of just like fighting or because you're supposed to or because well in the case of near like you want to save your daughter like you know just the lengths that people in games will just do ridiculous shit for no reason right without thinking about it
1: right yeah i mean that's really at the heart of of near automata just because you know from the robots to the androids you know they're so fanatical about what they do it's i mean it's definitely a commentary on how um motivated human beings can become as well Mm -hmm. i would say it's definitely blown up to a kind of a ridiculous level i mean the idea of all of those robots just jumping into their, you know, like, molten <laughs> metal to, like, commit suicide all at the same time. Yeah. Is, I mean, people have done similar things, but... Oh, yeah. Well, I so mean... I, that's what's kind of scary about it, is it's, it's ridiculous to see a bunch of robots with, you know, humorous voices leap off a, you know, a bridge or whatever. But at the same time, you know, when you look back at the the real-life counterparts of those kinds of things, like, that stuff does happen, if not quite as uh, epic or grand or whatever you'd want to say about it.
2: Yeah, I I actually really like that part of the game because, I mean, you you know, you're playing as 2B and you're just like, this is ridiculous, what are they doing? This is dumb, why are they doing this? And you're just trying to survive. And to me, like... I th- I actually think the gameplay does a good job in that in that part to kind of mirror, um, to mirror the. I guess the seriousness of the situation, where you're surrounded by a ton of suicidal robots, and like you're just trying to get out. And, it, and to me, it almost it had like this very small horror aspect where oh, there's several things that can almost instant kill you or instant kill you, like the suicide robots that explode or the. Uh, you know, the conveyor belts with the machines I'd, like, crunch down. And, mm. like, when I died to one of those, I was like, shit, you know, I, I'm i going to go get my body, but I could, like, die again and just lose my chips. And, like, I felt a little bit of that edge. And the fact that there were, the save points were so far away from each other, I was just like, oh, this is this is actually, like, a little scary to be doing right now. And it, it would be scary. So, like, I thought the gameplay did a good job of kind of mirroring that. Um, that you're just kind of trapped in this scary place with a bunch of crazy people.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, the idea of cultism is is pretty deeply sewn in the game. Um, it doesn't help, you know, it doesn't help the player feel good about what they're doing when when they realize that basically you're part of a cult as well that is, yeah, you know, just completely blind to you know the repercussions of what they're doing or even even the circumstances of what they're doing right so it's it is interesting to see to be kind of not understand why these robots would kill themselves when she doesn't really question what she's doing most mm-hmm. of the time and it takes S's prodding for her to even consider what's happening
2: yeah yeah it's i mean i i i think from that perspective it's it's pretty great yeah. Um, for sure. Oh, and the for me the the soundtrack in that section, like the the song that's playing, is really great because you get this like, you know, it's kind of this frantic music that blends with this mantra of like, um, what is it? Um, become as gods, like the mantra mm-hmm. of the of the suicidal robots, and like the music starts blending with that, and it's just it's just so well done to me.
1: Yeah, the the score is really interesting because it definitely adds to the f- the feeling of artificial, um, you know, the artificiality of everything. So, for instance, like when you hack into somebody as Nine S, oh, yeah. the the this the, the song like detunes itself to like an eight or sixteen you get, like, bit a little
2: rendering version of the of the currently playing song.
1: Exactly, and it's really cool to hear that because it's nice to hear the, the you know rearranged and all that kind of stuff. But it's also interesting because it clearly points out that like. Your this music like shouldn't exist like there's no you know it makes you wonder like where where does it exist is it is it the game playing music to me are the are the androids just hearing music <laughs> all the time for some bizarre reason that's never addressed or explained like what's like why is it there mm-hmm. which is interesting i don't think a lot of games actively uh try to make their music feel more than just background noise kind of
2: Right, and I mean, to me, it was impressive how... I mean, I, I guess I haven't played a lot of games where they have such dynamic music to a degree that, like, I both notice it and, like, you know, f- f- am in awe. Um, I mean, part of the reason I fell in love with the desert is the soundtrack because of the, the progression. You you start out, um, like, by the pipes in the caves, right? Um, mm-hmm. And... And, like, the the music's, like, pretty subdued, pretty quiet, um, really tame, but, like, it has this small, like, little melody, and as you continue progressing, you know, through the sand dunes, and later to the area just outside the apartment complex, and then into the apartment complex, it, like, slowly builds up into the song that goes full with with uh, the vocals that I just fucking love. Like, I, w- I can listen to that song all day, it's so good.
1: Well, right away like going into the sand area, like you realize like the first thing that happens is like the 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 accompany, the musical accompaniment to the singing drops off mm-hmm. like in the entryway and so then all you hear is singing for a bit and then you cross over and the song kind of reforms. It's really interesting. Like they did a a really fantastic job in figuring out how to transition from music to music. Yeah you know, in a game where you can move pretty fast.
2: And, I mean, yeah, it's entirely based on where you are.
1: And the circumstances that are surrounding you. Like, obviously the boss fights are kind of contained in a way that allow for a certain amount of predictability with what's going to happen musically. But there's still, you know, some kind of leeway because the boss fights can take longer depending on how good you are at the game or Mm -hmm. or how powerful you are. But I feel like it always kind of ties back up to the cutscenes that take place you know once you
2: have beaten the boss or whatever yeah it's it's really cool um, I mean I've, I've recently been playing pyre and they do something similar so like it's kind of, it was kind of interesting to play them both like I was playing them kind of simultaneously and it's interesting to see how they handled music like di- with dynamic pieces like that
1: it's definitely one of the more challenging things to do in a game I would I would think just because there's so many variables right mm-hmm you know compared to a film or something right where oh, it's just right. like we we specifically edited these together and they're fixed like this has to happen now uh, it will always happen this way in a game you know you can obviously do millions of things that the developer might not have expected or thought so to to be able to to piece music together with the moment is as effectively as near did i think it's a testament to the, the you know, the developers there, that's a oh, yeah. really hard job. And I think not only did this soundtrack convey the feelings, I think, that the game intended to, but they actually made sure that the most effective pieces of music were conveyed
2: at the right time all the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, to add to that, I was... I, I recently looked up the soundtrack just to, like, you know, find the songs I really liked and it's enormous and part of it is that and I'm realizing this is why I never got tired of the music is that as you progress through the game and you go back to old areas especially the the ruins the city ruins um they keep the same general like kind of piece playing like the general song but they change it up throughout the game as the game progresses so like the city ruins probably has at least 3 different like overworld themes that we'll play um you know it starts out with no vocals pretty pretty standard and like there's one section of the game that it has vocals there's another section of the game that it's doesn't really have vocals again but it sounds different and and from the original one you listen to um and they do the same thing you know with the amusement park um with pascal's village um i i don't know if the forest does it i haven't paid enough attention but like you know it's really impressive for to see
1: yeah i mean the music is definitely more like motif driven than it is theme driven i would say Mm-hmm. where you know most games you you have like an overworld theme you have a battle theme those kinds of things um it's just so dynamic and kind of amorphous in this game that uh I mean, I don't really know how you would design a score like that. I mean, I don't know what the process was. I don't know if they wrote the score and then kind of fit it into the game or if the composer was aware of what the game was going to be like and then did the score. I mean, I know...
2: Well, the composer worked on the previous Nier. Someone hinted that to me, and I ended up listening to that soundtrack. And there's there's a lot of overlaps and, like, kind of... um, nods to the to the original game in this one.
1: I see. Okay. That's interesting. I mean that even adds more layers. I mean I know obviously the games share a a prefix title, so
2: yeah there's a lot of (laughs) there's a lot of Well and this is an actual sequel, even if it takes place, you know, ten thousand years after everyone from the original game has died or something like that. Right.
1: Yeah, I don't know that much about Nier. Um I, I I watched, um, I think, Super Bunny Hop's video Yeah, on it, that's a good one. Which was really good, but I still don't feel like I have much of a grasp on what that game is about or what it is exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's necessary to enjoy. Well, it's not necessary to enjoy Near Automata at all, obviously. But I don't know how much you gain by having been exposed to Nier beforehand. I think the game that Automata is telling is is pretty self-contained, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there's a lot of it, you know, obviously four playthroughs or five playthroughs to get all of it or most, you know, the majority well, of it.
2: It's like, I'd say it's like two and a half because 9S's playthrough is mostly the same as 2 V's, but slightly different and then like the third one is completely different, so yeah. Right.
1: Yeah, but what I mean is, you know, there's a lot in the game itself that you know. I'm sure there are a bunch of references that I just didn't pick up on. Right. I mean, uh, I don't know like how much Devil that enhances of, the Popola game
2: though. Or from the original in the year. Okay. And I mean, one of the endings you you get to kind of learn about their story. Um, and Emil's from the original game and like has his own story. Um, yeah, there's, there's a good chunk of things that are just like nods to the first game. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, intertextualization of games is always kind of an interesting thing to me. Uh, you know, on the one hand, I think it's great. Uh, I don't mind games, especially in a series, even if they're loosely connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think it's interesting to have those kind of layers because it, it does reward, you know, players who pay attention and those who... You know, played, you know every game in a series. It's kind of nice to have some things that are um, little kind of nods to those those people who stuck it out through a whole series. But I also don't enjoy it when you have to have yeah. knowledge of previous games in order to get anything out of it.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: So I'm I'm glad that they were able to refrain from doing that because I don't feel like I don't feel like not knowing anything about Near made any difference on whether
2: I understood this game at all. No, I don't. I don't think it's necessary. Um, it's mostly like tiny nods. Like it's fascinating because uh, you know if you go back to the original Dragon Guard, like technically that has an ending that leads into you know another one of the Dragon Guard games that leads into near that leads into Near Automata. Um, so like. It's technically, it's technically all one world that has continued to have this storyline. Um, and I, there's a good video, shoot, I forget, I forget the name of the YouTube channel. But there's a good video that does a recap of like, hey, let's go from the original Guard all the way to, uh, you know, just before Nier Automata and trace what's happening. And it's this ridiculous tale but it's kind of fascinating and there's lots of references to it in NieR Automata in like little pieces of lore and, and text you get even if they don't they're not really necessary to really understand NieR Automata that well though
1: yeah i mean i think the idea of setting the game so far in the future that like none of the characters would have any idea what those references were to anyway is kind of like putting the player in the in those or putting the the characters in the player's shoes, yeah. Right? Like you're gonna come across all this information, and you're not really gonna have context for it, probably, because most people who bought the game probably didn't play all the Dragon Card games. And they probably didn't play near. Um, oh yeah. So that's interesting too, right? I mean, there's clear ties to the games built into to Automata, but I don't think the developers really expected anybody to pick up on it. Honestly, like I think kind of like how the combat works it's like they're there and they're just there mm-hmm. so that's interesting too i i i you know i have to i have to respect uh yoko taro for that because you know it's one thing it's hard enough to create one game let alone several yeah and and you know if it were me i would have a really hard time not just being like, hey, here's all the games I did in like every game I ever made. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you wanna you want people to be aware of what you've done, I think, on some level.
2: I mean I I'm impressed that he both, you know, didn't go that far into like saying, Hey, you know, look at the games I made, but at the same time still went through the effort to try to hook up this game to his other games. And I mean, same with all the games so far, like kind of tying them all together like that's oh sure it's kind of a ridiculous thing and I I highly doubt that he had near automata in mind when he was making the original Dragon guard but I mean it's impressive how he's tied everything together
1: yeah I mean I would I don't know enough about it obviously to to comment on how successful I think he is with uh, how solid the connections are I mean I uh, assume yeah. that the <laughs> distance between games is so vast in time that that it doesn't really matter how accurate it is. They're kind of like legends upon legends upon legends, I get the feeling.
2: Right. Um, and, I mean, there's, like, magic and, ridic- and aliens and rid- ridiculous things involved, right? So, like, yeah, like, it's not like you have to be very careful about the narrative structure of it.
1: Right. But, you know, we we do know what can happen when you get that totally wrong. Like, the Zelda timeline is so oh, God. full of BS that, yeah.
2: you know... Makes you wonder why they bothered
1: yeah, I mean retroactively trying to make a canon out of games that are not were not conceived as being connected from the get-go can just be a fruitless effort, you know, to just there's no real end to it. I mean, it doesn't matter where a link to the past falls compared to, you know, Majoras Mask. Like it just it doesn't matter. Right. Um but, you know, that said, if you have a series of games that are loosely connected in kind of tangential ways that don't directly impact the narrative of each individual game Mm
2: -hmm.
1: i think that's definitely the way to go about it yeah unless you're deliberately you know creating a series of games in a row um that's a different thing i think (laughs) but um and i don't know i guess the dragon guard games i feel like even those aren't
2: uh, they're not really super connected like right the, i mean
1: they, they're they're like, numbered but they're not they're not well like the dark souls games right like they're
2: right they, they, they take just, place in the same world ish and right yeah
1: although i would say even the souls games don't really do that particularly well there's a lot of well, contradictions that are very easy to
2: spot oh yeah
1: <laughs> unfortunately we, we could
2: have a whole podcast about that to be honest
1: oh yes easily <laughs> <laughs> yeah Yeah. i'm trying to figure out how i'm going to get through the rest of this game or if i am going to with so many games to play i mean there's a lot the thing is like this game is so dense that i think there is a ton to there's a ton of of value in replaying it because well a there's just numerous endings to get so Mm -hmm. if you want to actually see them for yourself and not just watch them on youtube or whatever um then yeah, it's worth it's worth playing through for that, and you don't have to do a whole lot of extra stuff to get those. I don't think it's just kind of play through it. Yeah, and and each playthrough is not that long, so you could do it in a relatively short amount of time.
2: Well, and like once you get the the chapter select option, that makes it really trivial to do. Like, you know, you just go back. I mean, maybe I would definitely use a guide to know where to go because I'm I'm not going to play through the entire game just to get like a five minute clip. Not even five minutes, maybe two minute clip um but yeah like chapter select makes it way easier to like 100 the game and you know finish up all those sense i have a few left but yeah
1: nice so what's on your list after this
2: um well i want to finish a pyre. i i'm debating whether to go back into hollow knight or to just supposedly there's more dlc free dlc coming out for that so i think i'm gonna wait for that um yeah i i have like a growing list of things persona four i think that might be the next big one
1: (laughs) it's funny you say that uh i was thinking about it too as as i've gotten closer to finishing five i'm just like oh man i should really finish four now because i haven't yet (laughs) um i don't know if i will though man it uh, five is so long and i know four is going to be not i don't think it's as long but it's yeah i mean it's still a daunting task yeah I don't know if I have the time for another 80-hour game right now.
2: I think that's... I've had Persona 4 for a long time because it was so highly spoken of. You know, I got it... I got a Vita, like, in part just to get Persona 4, and I've had Persona 4 so long. So I think I'm using the fact that I already own it and it's a long game to, like, buffer out the amount of time between me getting Persona 5 so that way I can get it on, on cheap
1: yeah it's 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 a bummer well it, well if you want to get it cheap you can get the, well no the ps3 version is actually not that cheap right now yeah yet. weirdly enough um i was gonna say if you want to get cheap that's probably the version to get <laughs> but uh i
2: guess i could get it used copy
1: probably it is worth it i will say that much i i you know i i kind of tired out of the game because i got it when it first came out and played probably 30 hours mm-hmm. roughly and then i was just like i can't do it anymore i'm just i'm tired i'm done and then i was like well i'll come, you know i'll come back to it and i would just dread going back to it because of how long i felt i still had to go in it yeah but man it felt so good to pick it up again cuz it's just so good <laughs> like it's not i don't think it's the most solidly built game in the sense of like mechanics and stuff i mean it's it's fine it works fine but it just <laughs> it's so compelling to just do every even like the stupid mundane stuff oh yeah like going to the bathhouse or whatever like that stuff is all fun
2: yeah so it's, I, it's definitely worth it it's amazing I, I had the same experience so far with four and i am really looking forward to digging back in but uh i think what's keeping me from from digging immediately back in is like a little a little decision paralysis as to how to spend my time best
1: yep that's always the killer man yeah all right any last thoughts on uh
2: near um i really hope yokotaro keeps making games <laughs> well given how much praise he got
1: from platinum
2: oh yeah it was they, basically they were... them they
1: crediting him with saving their studio essentially yeah um, which is kind of crazy i mean it, it's weird to think about a game this bizarre yeah having an audience as big as it did
2: it's really fascinating because it i mean yokotaro's previous games were all cult classics and this one is just straight up mainstream success right um and i guess it's i don't know i guess a combination of two great things executed well yeah i don't know
1: well in the in the i mean yeah obviously having platinum develop it was a big um it put the game in the public consciousness before it came out. Yeah. In a way that the other games just weren't able to, obviously. So I'm curious because well, I'm also curious specifically about how many people bought it for like the PlayStation 4 versus like PC. I mean, I think having it available on PC was a huge part of it. Oh yeah. Same we- reason why I think Dark Souls was really successful whereas Demon Souls wasn't as successful. Was right. Just because the amount of players possible was much much bigger than one
2: platform could provide. I mean, yeah, I would argue being on PC is what made Dark Souls really really take off. Um, and for Nier, that it's probably helped, but honestly, the, the PC port it's not great, and they haven't maintained it well. Really, um, you it, it it's reminiscent of the original Dark Souls in that. To make it playable, you basically have to install what's called the FAR mod, which is fix automata resolution because there's just a lot of weird graphical glitches. And even with that mod, there's a lot of uh, video cards that just straight up will not play the game properly. They'll like Hmm. crash, the the game will just crash randomly on you or you'll get a white screen or what have you. Uh, I lucked out in that I had a video card that did not give a shit, played perfectly (laughs) fine. but yeah, the near port is sadly unloved. Um, so you
1: played it on PC yourself then? Yeah. Okay, interesting.
2: Yeah, I played it on PC, had a great experience. Um, but it's very mixed if you go look at the Steam reviews. Pretty much all because of just the, the graphics issues.
1: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't even perform all that well on the PS4, I would say. There's a lot of slowdown. It's fine, but it definitely isn't the smoothest game I've ever seen.
2: Uh, yeah on p c it actually plays perfectly like or well with, with my setup I have a nvidia g t x ten seventy um so i I had a smooth buttery sixty frames per second, basically the entire time
1: nice, yeah yeah i mean i don't know i'm I'm not one to think that performance can really ruin the uh the experience for me you know I never had a problem with bloodborne's frame rates dropping like a lot of people said oh, yeah. they did or or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. It I would say the framerate really doesn't make much difference in in uh, automata that, you know, outside of maybe a couple sequences. So, it it definitely didn't bother me, but it was noticeable. And I know for people who, you know, really obsessed about that kind of stuff, it could mm. it could definitely get in the way, but well, especially
2: um, on the PC market. Well, that's yeah, that's, exactly.
1: Yeah. But still, I'm glad a game that, like that was able to get to the PC because, you know, surprise you know i given how aggressive sony has been with some of the games that they've you know had on their platform mm-hmm. i'm a little surprised they didn't jump in to try to make it exclusive to the ps4
2: well i think there was a lag between actually i don't know I, I think there was it wasn't a big lag between it coming out on the ps4 and then pc maybe like a couple weeks
1: yeah it wasn't long i know that yeah yeah i wonder about that
2: too um but well, I mean,
1: with the success they had with Bloodborne being specifically on the PS4 and nothing else, that's what makes me wonder, because that was a home run for them. I see. And and had they had they tried to work out that deal with this game, I don't know if it would have made much difference. I think it's a kind of game where the audience is the audience, and I don't think it was going to drag people to the PS4 necessarily like Bloodborne did.
2: Right. I agree with that.
1: So... Who knows? Those kinds of things, you know, you can get so crazy with the hypotheticals that it's like <laughs> you drive yourself crazy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a good game. I mean, despite my problems with it, I don't think they're problems in the sense of like the game is worse because of the issues it has. It it makes it that much more interesting. Right. So, definitely something I I recommend playing for yourself at some point if you haven't.
2: Definitely.
0: Alright, so obviously we never really got close to sussing out everything that this game has to offer. It's design and construction are such that the odds of a single person going through and finding everything are pretty small. Still, part of the fun is sharing your experiences with other players, comparing notes, pontificating on what it all means. Hopefully we were able to shed some light on aspects that you might not have caught during your own playthroughs, or at the very least, giving you a reason to play the game yourself. If you're interested in more of my thoughts on video games, you can check out my essays at jmsebastian.tumblr.com or on Twitter at jsebastiangames. I have also been able to establish a more consistent streaming schedule, so feel free to hang out with me on Twitch where you can find me at jmsebastian. If you'd like to dig deeper into Gabe's thoughts, you may do so via Twitter at Mistalice or by visiting his website gabem.me. As always, thanks for listening.